Thanks once again for listening in on the EM Stud Podcast, and happy recent 4th of July to everyone out there. Ah, July. How I love July. We have fresh new interns, residents, medical students, all getting used to their new roles at the start of a new academic year. And because of this transition, I was recently asked to give a talk to our interns about how to transition from the role of an intern to that of a more senior resident. Specifically, how to become more efficient in the ED. So that's what I'm going to talk about in this episode, how to be efficient. But first, I want to address a topic that you may have heard of and that has certainly come to the attention of clerkship directors and program directors across the country, and that is the ranking of emergency medicine residency programs by U.S. News & World Report and Doximity. So let me start by saying that I like the idea of having additional perspective on residency programs available. That way, you can make the most informed decisions possible throughout the application process. That said, a lot of us in emergency medicine have some serious concern, though, that the methodology used to put this together could be detrimental and, at the very least, simply not accurate. And the reason is because these rankings are put together from a survey where physicians already on Doximity are essentially asked which programs are their favorites. And given that the majority of us have only actually trained at a single program, this can result in some significant bias, especially since there are no other metrics being compared here. Things like board scores, graduation rates, patients seen per hour, or number of procedures logged. In other words, other stats that students may actually find useful for comparing programs. Instead, it seems to be more of a popularity contest where, for example, I may rank my program number one because I liked it and it's really the only one I'm intimately familiar with anyway, maybe rank my friend's program number two because, hey, she said she really liked it there, and so on. And what's more, informing people that some programs are better than others and thus implying that some graduating emergency physicians may be better than others could simply be dangerous on a public health level. We don't want people who are truly having a medical emergency driving past the nearest emergency department to go somewhere else based on some perception of better care which is akin to say how many likes you get on Facebook. So is it even possible to rank emergency medicine residency programs? Yes, absolutely. But it takes careful consideration of each program's characteristics and unique offerings, and even where it is located in relation to your interests and preferences. It takes actually going to these programs in person to feel out the environment, meet the residents and faculty, and overall get a sense of whether it's a good fit for you. It takes time spent with your spouse, significant other, other close friends and family, pet goldfish, whoever, weighing options before deciding where you want to spend the next three to four years of your life. In other words, the best possible ranking of emergency medicine residency programs will, in fact, be your own personal rank list come the end of interview season. Because not every program is designed for everyone, and many programs are the best program for certain people. No online survey or popularity poll can do that for you. It is up to you to decide. For more detail and additional perspective, I invite you to go to our website and click on a link to a letter written by the Clerkship Directors and Emergency Medicine Executive Committee addressed to medical students about this very topic. All right, but now back to the topic at hand, how to be efficient in the ED. 
in my opinion, not just a topic helpful for senior residents, but also for interns and students learning how to get in the groove, so to speak, in a busy and at times intimidating environment. If you've had some experience working in the ED, maybe you're an intern who already has a year behind you, or maybe you're a student who has a shift or two under your belt, I want you to think, if you can, of how many patients per hour you are comfortable seeing. And it doesn't matter what the number is, but write it down. Next, I want you to think about and write down three things you feel slow you down during a shift that you feel are inside your control, things you'd like to improve upon. And finally, write down three things you feel slow you down that you feel are outside of your control. Now take this list and put it off to the side for a second. We'll come back to it later. So for those of you who have seen and are maybe even a little bit jealous of the residents and attendings who are so fast and can see a ton of patients and can get things done quickly, let me now just be blunt and say speed, simply doing things faster, is not the answer. Speed is dangerous. Speed is putting your foot on the accelerator, trying to get to your destination sooner, but in doing so, sacrificing detail in the things you're flying past, negatively impacting your reaction time should something jump out in front of you. Simply trying to speed up will inevitably cause you to cut corners, overlook subtleties, and reduce the quality of your care. So all those residents or attendings who seem fast, they're fast because they're efficient. Speed and efficiency are not the same thing. Now, multitasking is not the answer either. Real multitasking, the ability to perform two or more tasks simultaneously, may not even truly be possible, first of all, with an exception being something like walking and chewing gum at the same time, primarily motor tasks that involve some background cognitive function but are to a large part automatic. But what happens if you try multitasking with higher level cognitive tasks, like driving and texting? Not only is it incredibly hard to do both at the same time well, it is also flat out dangerous. That is what it can be like in a busy ED, where it too can be dangerous to do multiple tasks simultaneously that require a lot of thinking. Like reading an EKG while talking to a consultant on the phone, or listening to a patient's history while typing a note. So instead of multitasking, which according to a great quote I found online is, the art of messing up several things at once, instead we have to learn how to be efficient task switchers meaning that we can rapidly pause what we are doing, go do something else, and return to our original task without wasting a lot of energy or inertia. And to demonstrate this, I love doing an activity with medical students and more recently interns where I give them a list of things to do. Simple math problems, word puzzles, some motor tasks like balancing a marker on their forehead, Things that are simple enough but require a broad array of intellectual and motor skills. And they are required to complete these tasks as quickly as possible, all while being interrupted at random intervals with more difficult team activities. What this is meant to simulate is an environment where there is a manageable number of tasks to complete, but with the added pressure of time and interruptions can very quickly feel overwhelming. The sessions are typically 30 minutes long and the students are given about 10 to 12 tasks to complete. But in real life, emergency physicians are performing about 100 tasks an hour, and in some settings even more. These tasks are varied, including talking to patients and performing exams, writing notes, taking phone calls, entering orders, reading EKGs and x-rays, following up on labs, doing procedures, and so on. There is no question that emergency physicians are busy and constantly jumping from one thing to another. 
If we were also to look at each of these tasks in more detail, it becomes readily apparent that some of these tasks are relatively straightforward, while others are not, depending on how much cognitive effort it takes to perform them. Along these lines, we can separate tasks into two categories, automatic and controlled. Automatic tasks are things that do not take a lot of mental energy and can be done almost as a background process. Many of you who are computer savvy could probably very easily enter a username and password to log into a computer, for example, without having to think much about it. A clinical example would be something like suturing. When you first learn to suture, it takes a lot of effort to remember where your hands go, how to hold the instruments, and how to lay down a knot. But with enough practice, the motions become embedded in muscle memory and can eventually be done without a lot of thinking. It becomes, in a sense, automatic. On the other hand, control tasks require higher level thinking, problem solving. When you are finished interviewing and examining a patient and are then trying to sort out a differential and what tests to obtain, that is a controlled task. It requires much more cognitive effort to do, and importantly, should you be interrupted with something else, it takes even more energy to return to your previous thought process. In addition to the variety and volume of both automatic and controlled tasks, interruptions are frequent. In the ED, it's been measured that emergency physicians are interrupted over 10 times per hour, which is at least once every six minutes. And these interruptions, things like reading an EKG from triage, answering phone calls, evaluating an acute change in a patient's status, or responding to a medical or trauma alert, can also vary widely in their level of complexity and degree of distraction from the task at hand. And there's no question that these interruptions can be counterproductive and sometimes even dangerous, like being forced to suspend a physical examination when a more urgent matter arises, or getting interrupted with a phone call while trying to figure out a drug dose. All interruptions can not only negatively impact your inertia or your momentum in finishing the task at hand, but can also cause delays, errors, missed or forgotten information, implications for patient safety. But this is the nature of an ED. It is a dynamic environment with an ever-changing multitude of simple, complex, automatic, and controlled tasks combined with frequent, unpredictable, and urgent interruptions. To an outsider, it can absolutely look like and feel like chaos. But what if I told you that it isn't chaos at all? That it is really an organized combination of parallel processes that just has a sort of unique rhythm and flow to it. One of my favorite shows growing up, I'll admit, was ER, the one with George Clooney. In particular, I was drawn to the scenes where a really badly injured trauma patient would be wheeled in, the paramedics would be giving sign out at 100 miles an hour, and the docs were running around intubating and throwing in chest tubes. They absolutely looked like rock stars. They were tasks switching like nobody's business, one minute doing a procedure and the next shouting out orders for meds and x-rays and labs, all stat, of course. And while on TV it looked super busy and chaotic and incredibly dramatic with intense music pumping in the background, in real life similar scenes happen like that every day. And the difference, apart from not having the dramatic music in the background, is that it is not chaos. It is an orchestration of multiple tasks done by multiple providers with different roles who have learned to efficiently move from one task to another. It just takes a different perspective to see what is actually going on. Similarly, working in an ED under seemingly chaotic conditions requires a different perspective or mental framework to be able to work within that unique rhythm to learn how to task switch efficiently and keep your cognitive inertia going.
So with that in mind, let me now lay out 12 tips that I think can help you become more efficient in the ED. Step one, come prepared. Pretend you're running a marathon. You wouldn't just show up the day of the race without any preparation. You would come well-nourished and hydrated with a plan of attack for the course. Same goes for each shift. Physically, you won't perform well unless you are rested, fed, and have an empty bladder. Mentally, you have to put yourself in the right mindset. Build up some positive energy and tell yourself that today there is no stopping you from taking on anything that rolls in that door. Imagine yourself as George Clooney and listen to some exciting music on the way in to pump yourself up. Any personal issues, leave at home. Now is the time to focus. Step 2. Maintain situational awareness. Know your resources first and foremost, like where the equipment is, who's on staff that day, how many CT scanners are up and running, and so on. It's hard to work within the rhythm of a department if you aren't familiar with the parts. And don't be a victim of your environment. Instead, take control of it. When you come on shift, learn where the sick patients are. Eyeball new patients as they come in. Start anticipating where problems could be hiding, like rapidly declining patients or difficult dispositions, and tackle them early and aggressively. Step 3. Stay focused on the task at hand. Remember, multitasking is dangerous, so when you're actively doing something, concentrate and do it right. For example, you cannot evaluate a patient and come up with a plan and do something else at the same time. That is a controlled task. So instead of thinking about your workup back at your workstation where you're much more likely to get interrupted, try coming up with a plan before you even leave your patient's room. Not only will this help you avoid interruptions, it will also help you determine if you've gathered enough information from your patient to proceed. Step 4. Minimize interruptions. This goes along with step 3 in that it will allow you to stay on task without losing energy from having to task switch excessively. You can do this by being proactive and anticipating patient and nursing needs, like ordering pain medication right away and letting your nurse know of the plan. Don't page a consultant and then leave to do something else unless you want them to call you back when you've just engaged yourself in another task. If you have to stop what you're doing because of an urgent interruption, make yourself a mental bookmark so that you can easily pick up where you left off. Like. I will tell myself before addressing an interruption, okay, I've looked at this patient's labs, and when I come back, I need to look at the patient's chest x-ray. Step 5. Utilize prompts. One of the things we do as emergency physicians is constantly carry and rearrange a to-do list in our heads. But that doesn't mean that that is the only place your to-do list can be. Using prompts, like asking the nurse to update you with vital signs or remind you when that next medication is due, can offload some of these items and reduce your cognitive load. Step 6. Don't delay procedures or exams. There will never be a better time or a less busy time to get something done, and if you wait, it's just one more thing that lingers and weighs down your mental to-do list. So that pelvic exam or that abscess that needs an IND, just get them done and out of the way. Learn how to incorporate these things into your rhythm now so that they don't continue to slow you down later. Step 7. For procedures specifically, preparation is key. A few extra minutes taken ahead of time to gather the right supplies, set everything up and position things properly can save you a lot of time and frustration. Make sure the bed is at the right height. Make sure the lighting is set up the way you want it. 
Make sure you have an extra X, Y, or Z immediately available if you think you'll need it. If you set yourself up for success, you may save yourself from having to do a second or third attempt at something. Step 8. Learn to delegate. Now, for medical students, delegation is perhaps a little less important as, at this stage, you probably want to learn how to do as much as possible independently. But as you progress throughout your training and take on more complicated tasks, delegating certain things can help your overall efficiency. Things like asking people to grab equipment for you or throw in a few orders, having someone else track down that EKG. Emergency medicine is a team sport after all, so learning how to use all members of the team can be incredibly useful. That being said, finding a blanket at the request of a patient is something I still prefer to do myself. Step 9. Reduce redundancy. Yes, there are checks and double checks and triple checks built into our systems for patient safety that are probably necessary, but that doesn't mean you have to be redundant in everything you do. One example is a nursing assessment. Believe me, they are asking many of the same questions you would, and instead of wasting time repeating those same questions, let your history build off of the information they've already collected. Another example is taking notes while talking to a patient. Instead of writing everything down that your patient says on a piece of scratch paper, only to then have to write an actual note in the medical record later, try listening to what your patient is saying instead of transcribing it. Your history will come more naturally, you'll be able to think through what your patient is actually trying to tell you, and with practice, you'll learn how to remember histories without needing to write them down all the time. And as a bonus, you'll save a lot of trees. Step 10. Save your energy. Stop wasting movement. Just like the surgeons try to avoid wasted movement during procedures, don't waste your energy running back and forth around the ED unnecessarily. Going to a patient's room down the hall? Stop along the way and check if the nurse has any updates. Reassess your other patients while you're down there so you don't have to make a second trip later. Step 11. Refresh your cognitive workload. At some point, you will feel lost or overwhelmed. It's okay. It happens. Take a deep breath, clear your mind for a few minutes, then run your list of patients and refresh your to-do list. If you find you're having to do this frequently, it probably means you should go get something to eat. Step 12. Leave work at work. This is one of the hardest things to do as an emergency physician. Difficult patients, frustrating conversations, having to give bad news, it all tends to stick with you at the end of the day. But it doesn't do you any good to dwell on this negativity, and obsessing over things that made you upset will impact your energy and morale for the next shift. Instead, if something occurred that could be a good point for improvement, write it down and look at it later when you're refreshed. But for now, at the end of your shift, pick a physical threshold for leaving work behind. Mine is a parking garage. So to recap, ways to improve your efficiency and ability to task switch effectively in the ED. Step 1. Come prepared, both mentally and physically. Step 2. Maintain situational awareness and anticipate problems. Step 3. Stay focused on the task at hand, concentrate and do it right before moving on. Step 4. Minimize interruptions when you can and be proactive. Step 5. Utilize prompts to help remind you of certain tasks. Step 6. Don't delay procedures or exams. Step 7. Preparation is key for procedures. Step 8. Learn to delegate. Step 9. Reduce redundancy. Step 10, save your energy and stop wasting movement. Step 11, refresh your cognitive workload if you're feeling overwhelmed and don't forget to eat. 
And finally, step 12, leave work at work. Remember that list of things both inside and outside of your control that you feel slow you down? Take that with you on your next shift and try out some of these strategies. You may find that some things you felt were outside of your control really aren't, and the ones that are inside are even easier to manage than you thought. The key to being efficient in the ED is all about working hard, working smart, and learning how to task switch effectively. So try these strategies out and let me know what you think or if you have any other tips you'd like to share on how to be more efficient. Thanks again for listening. This is Dr. Nate on the EM Stud Podcast. Catch you next time.